Well, if you have your Bibles today, open up to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 46. Genesis 46. And uh, one of the cool things that we do, we, uh, I was taught to teach verse by verse. And, uh, and that means that you cover every verse. <laughs> and it means you don't skip things. And the reason for that is you get a healthy diet of the Word of God. And I'm not just looking at things I'm interested in. I'm actually covering and trying to explain the Word of God. And if you see somebody who is malnourished physically, uh, it takes time to get them healthy again, right? You, you, you give them the right nutrients so their body can absorb and start to develop properly. And same thing spiritually, you know. Genesis 46, we're going to cover, the Lord willing, the rest of the chapter from verse 8 to verse 34. Big chunk there, okay? So, I'm, gonna st- I'm just going to jump into it, okay? Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Now, let me just back up here. What's going on here? Joseph and Jacob, right? Joseph has been gone for 22 years. Jacob has learned that Joseph is alive, and now they're getting ready to meet. And Jacob has left Hebron. He's got as far as Beersheba, the southern border. And God reassures him and says, Jacob, it's okay. You can go see Joseph. He's, it's, it's, uh, you have my blessings, so to speak. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you down to Egypt, and I'm going to bring you back. When he says that I'm going to bring you back, that means I want to bring the nation of Israel back. And Joseph is going to close your eyes. In other words, he's going to be there when you die. You thought that Joseph was dead, but he's going to be there when you die. And so now you have this 22-year anticipation of Jacob seeing Joseph for the first time in so many years. Last time he saw him, he was a 17-year-old kid. Now he's a man. Grown man. It's been years. And so he says in verse 1 that he set out with all that he had. And then in verse 7, it kind of explains, verse, uh, end of verse 6, all his seed was with him, that's Jacob. In verse 7, his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters, and everyone else, right, is going, they're making this journey down. Now it's going to give, who exactly is that? It says, now these, in verse 8, these are the names of the sons of Israel. Now, I'm going to read the names. There's not going to be a spelling test or a quiz. Um, I, I'm not going to do that, but I'll explain what we're doing here. These are the names of the sons of Israel, of Jacob and of his sons, who were coming to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemiel, or technically in Hebrew, there's no J sound, so it's like Yemiel, but I'll still say it, I'll say J, but technically there's no J sound in Hebrew, right? Jemiel, Jamin, or Yamin, Ohad, Jakin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah, 
But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. That's Genesis 38. We saw that. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hemuel. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Eob, or it could be Job, Eob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered and Elon and Jalil. The sons of Leah, and these are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padamaram with his daughter Dinah. That's in Genesis, she's in Genesis 34. All his sons and daughters were numbered, were 33. Then the sons of Gad, Ziphian, and Hagi, and Shuni, and Esban, and Eri, and Aradi, and Arli. The sons of Asher, Imna, and Ishva, and Ishvi, and Bariah. Can you imagine Christmas time at this, at this household? <laughs> That's a lot of... How are we doing? And, and their sister Sarah, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Melchiel. The sons of, these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah. So she's Leah's handmaid. And she bore Jacob 16 persons. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, were Joseph and Benjamin. Now Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela and Becher and Ashbel and Gura and Naaman and Ehi or Ehi and Rosh. Mupin, Hupin, sounds like hobbits, right? <laughs> and, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob. There were 14 persons in all. And then the, the sons of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Naphtali, Naphtali Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, Shilem, these are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all, and in all, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, who came out of his loins, excluding the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two, and all the persons in the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, and Joseph harnessed his, his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now I can die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it will be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? Then you, will say to, you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, that last section right there technically goes with the next chapter, but we'll see how far we get in there, okay? Wow, what do we do with this? I mean, all a bunch of names, right? The first part, they, most people just skip over the names, you know. Except if you if you know somebody who is in a movie, 
or who helped out in the movie, you're staying to the end because you're looking at the credits to see if their name, right? Because the name is significant, isn't it? And here's what's interesting is, is first of all, this first section, we're going to call this the, the relatives, this verse 8 to uh, 27, the relatives account. These are the relatives of Jacob, the nation of Israel, right? What's interesting is genealogies are important in Scripture, especially the book of Genesis. This is actually the seventh genealogy given in Genesis. Let me just go through real fast. The first one is given in chapter 4. It lists eight descendants of Cain. Then in chapter 4, you have descendants of Seth, from Seth to Enosh. Then in chapter 5, the whole chapter, 32 verses in chapter 5, are descendants from Adam to Noah. Right? From Adam to Noah. Then in chapter 10, you have the table of nations. You have the descendants of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, it focuses on Shem. Shem is the, the Semites, come from Shem. And Shem gives birth to Terah and to Abram. So here's what we have in Genesis. You have to start with Adam, mankind, and it's like this funnel that's closing in on one particular man named Abram and his family. Because the rest of Scripture is going to be about the story of Abraham. Okay? So now that's... So that's um, and by the way, go to chapter 11 real fast. We'll do a little sort of sermon Bible study thing. Go to at the end of 11. I'm just going to point something out, okay? Watch this. At the end of... Um, yeah, at the end of 11. Right, so you have chapter, uh, chapter 11... In verse 10, he begins the generations of Shem, all right? The Semites are from Shem, right? And watch this. He gets down to 26, Terah, who became the father of Abram. And then it goes, uh, verse 27, uh, these are the generations of Terah, the, Terah the father of Abram, and it goes on from there. And then Abram, in verse 29, uh, he had a wife named Sarai, Right? And she's barren, verse 30, no child. And then it says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, and then they go from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And then it gives you verse 32, Terah's years. Now here's what's interesting. There are people out there who say that Genesis 1-11 through is myth. Okay, let me just stop right there. Which is complete nonsense. First of all, in, in Genesis is written as historical narrative. And secondly, if it's myth, you have no Abraham. Because in chapter 10 is where Abraham shows up. Or chapter 11, rather. Which means Abraham's a real person. Because, because if you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, Luke traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Matthew will chase him all the way back from, from Abraham. Right? In other words, if it's myth, then the rest of Scripture is myth. This is historic. This is why these names are important. So people say it's myth. They don't know their Bible. Although they don't believe that the Bible is true. I'm sorry. They don't believe that every word is inspired. This is God's word. Okay, this is not. You're, you guys aren't worried about that, right? This is why we take the time to read the scriptures verse by verse. Because when you hear some famous apologist saying that oh, one through eleven is myth, why? Because it, because it doesn't fit in with my interpretation of when God created the heavens and the earth, then you have a problem here. Either this is actual history, and these are actual people, that Jesus Christ gets his lineage from, whether or not. I lost you. Didn't I lose, did I lose you? No. 
I w- okay. So now, I, that was my fifth, gen- okay, fifth, that was the fifth genealogy. The sixth one is Abraham to Isaac, 20 verses. That's in Genesis 25. And then now the seventh genealogy is in chapter 46. Now, here's what's interesting. If you were in Genesis, just Genesis alone, there's 50 chapters, 1 through 50, okay? If you add up all the verses that are given to the names, again, we want to just pass over like it's a phone book, you know? Let me just slow down and give you, we're going to show you the significance of these names. If you add up all the verses in Genesis alone, there's 137 verses given to names, to genealogy. You see, what's the big deal of that? Okay, that's longer than many books of the Bible. Okay, watch this. It's longer than the book of Ruth, only 85 verses. The book of Joel is only 73 verses. Jonah, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Malachi, Song of Solomon. Okay. The list of names is longer than half of the minor prophets. Okay? Let's just let that sink in for there. Let's go New Testament. It's longer than the book of Philippians. It's longer than the book of Colossians. It's longer than 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thess- Thessalonians. 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and Titus, and Philemon, oh, and some people's favorite book, James. The list of names is longer than the book of James, and 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. I say, okay, what's, why is he doing this? Why is he giving these names? What's the big deal? Now, you back in Genesis 46? Okay, back there, okay. Now watch this. You see how it starts off now these are the names of the sons of Israel. Now that's a catchphrase, okay? Go to Exodus 1. Go to Exodus 1. Now look how Exodus starts up. Now these are the names. By the way, now here's the In Hebrew, the book of Exodus is not called Exodus. In Hebrew, they name the books based on the first word or phrase of the book. So in Genesis, the first word is barashit, beginnings. The, the, the Hebrew, the be, the, be, the bait, that's a, the pre, as a preposition, in, beginnings. Well, here in Exodus, the first words are shamut, or shamot, rather. That means names. So in Hebrew, this is called, the book, this is called names. These are the names. So why is that significant? Well, if you remember, now here's what God's doing. He's bringing his people to Egypt. And he's told Abraham, know for certain that your people will be aliens in a land that's not their own. Okay? But I'm going to bring them out. 430 years later, I'm going to bring them out as a people. So what you have here is you have the beginnings of that nation. And then you have... 400 years later, you have prob- probably 2 million people. It's definitely over a million. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, people that are, going to, that are going out. In fact, go to the book of Numbers. How am I going to get to verse 34 today? <laughs> Maybe I won't. <laughs> Look, okay, here's what happened. So Exodus, okay, at the end of Genesis, they get to Egypt. Book of Exodus, 
Now they're in Egypt. They're, they're, they're much bigger in Egypt. Now they're about to leave Egypt, right? Exodus, in Greek, Exodus is exit. If you go to Greece and you see an exit sign, it says Exodus, okay? Because this is going to be their exit, right? And who is going to exit? The names, right? So, so there's a tie there. So, but look at Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 2. And uh, just to, real quick, and you're like, Numbers? Oh, more names? <sighs> Boy, vey, right? Hey, Mike, I, I want to praise the Lord that if your name is written in the book of life, you want to make sure your name's there, and you're excited about that. So, right, okay, so names mean something. We'll, we'll get to the significance in a second, second, but I'm getting a little technical, I know that. And guess what? I don't have the name of the Antichrist on this list, but I do have the names of people that Christ has died for, amen? Okay, names, numbers, two. Look at verse 32. Watch this. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you see that in verse 32? These are the numbered men of sons of Israel. By the way, these are going to be men older than 20. So it's going to list you in that chapter a bunch of names by, by, by tribe. And these are ones that are older than 20 who can fight, right? The total number of men by camps by their armies was 603,550. Okay, these are men older than 20 years old. So it, so it doesn't include... Uh, in fact, it says it doesn't include the Levites, so we have to add them. It doesn't include people under the 20 age. It doesn't call, include the wives. It doesn't include the daughters or grandmas. So you can probably fairly estimate that there's over a million people coming out of Egypt at that time. Now you say, why, why are you bringing this up? is because God has kept his promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even if it's 430 years later. Now, let's go back to Genesis 46. I'm going to explain real fast a couple of things about this section. You guys with me? Yep. Okay. All right, 46. Okay, just, just to show you, and I'm not going to go through every single name. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. First of all, there's a structure here, Okay. So first of all, you have in verse 8, there's like an introduction. These are the sons of Israel, right? And then it goes, it's going to go children of Leah, right? Then it's going to go children of her handmaid, Zilpah. Then it's going to go children of Rachel, and then children of her handmaid, right? And Leah is going to have, look at verse, um, first of all, look at verse 15. You see verse 15? Okay, is this boring? Okay, good, 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 good. I don't think it is. I'm excited. See, it says, the number uh, of all his sons and daughters was 33. Now, here's what's interesting. A couple of things to point out. So, Dinah is mentioned there because of her relevance in chapter 34. She was raped, and then her brothers kind of had revenge on the Shechemites, and she's there. Perhaps she has other daughters. We don't know. But if you had the sons, there's 32 sons that are listed there. Okay? Watch this, right? And then if you go to the, the, the next part, Zilpah's hand, Zilpah is the handmaid of her. Go to verse 18. Look at verse 18. She has 16, right? You see that? 
And then you have Rachel. And then from Rachel, look at verse 22, you have 14. You see that? And then her handmaid is Bilhah is seven. Now watch this. So let's just take the sons. Leah, the 32, her handmaid is half that, 16. Rachel, 14. Bilhah, 7. Now watch this. Now keep, okay, so you got numbers here. So you have 32 or 33, wait, 33. Let's say 33. 33 is what it says. Sorry, my, I'm talking sons and daughters. 33 and 16. What does that add up to? Matt, I know, you didn't think you'd come to Bible study. Have 49, okay? I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. So just stay with me, okay? So you have 49. On Rachel's side, you have 14 and what? Seven is 21. Now watch this. All the people that went down, all the people, look verse 27, were 70. Now what's the big deal? Do you notice that the numbers are related to the number seven? Scripture, seven and uh, this is the, the number seven, 70, and the relation to seven is is a, is a number of completion. God created in six days and one day rest, so seven days, right? But 70, it speaks of completion. You have 70 throughout Scripture. Here's the significance. Um, you had 70 nations in Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations. You had how many elders assigned with Moses to help him out? 70 elders to help Moses out. You had 70 years of captivity that Israel, that Judah was in captivity for 70 years. The book of Daniel speaks of 70 weeks of years for God to finish um, the, uh, the transgression of Israel. You have the translation of the Septuagint. I'm getting technical. Are you guys with me? Okay, I'm going getting technical, but guess what? Where else would you get it, right? Because I don't want you watching some guy on TikTok and get some garbage theology of, you know, who hasn't studied. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you. So the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That was the Bible Jesus used. That's the Bible that Paul used. There were seven, well, technically 72 translators. They call it the LXX, the 70. Jesus sends out 70 um, disciples to go minister. That's in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Oh, and Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins? Seven times? No, not seven times, but 70 times. Right, seven. What is God doing here? I think here God in one sense is pointing out that there's a completion, a complete people of God that he is starting to work on. The implication is there will be a completion of that work later on. You see that? Okay, that's just a little side thing here. By the way, one side note, if you read the book of Acts in chapter 7, Stephen says there were 75 who went. Oh, that must be the Bible's full of contradictions, you know. No. By the way, if you, start off, if you start off thinking the Bible's full of errors, you're going to find errors in everything, right? If it's the inspired word of God, then you have to do your homework and say, let me find out what's going on here. Well, Stephen quotes from the Septuagint, and the Septuagint adds 
some grandsons of Joseph who are under Ephraim and Manasseh. He, for some reason, they include that in the group. Okay? The idea is that it was a complete move by God to the nation of Israel, or to, to, uh, to Egypt of the people of, 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 um, of Israel. Now, what are some lessons we can learn from these names? Oh, by the way, are you still there in chapter 46? I just want to point out two people. Look at verse 11. You see that name Kohath? You see that? One of his descendants is Moses. Moses comes from him. You see right below that in, Genesis, in chapter 12, Genesis, Genesis 46, 12, Perez, you see the name Perez? He's not Puerto Rican or Hispanic. <laughs> He's, you see Perez and Hezron? Those two names are listed in gene, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. David comes through this genealogy and Jesus Christ. And in one sense, you have this, God is beginning, beginning a work in the people of God, but ultimately it's going to point to Christ who's going to come through the same line. Jesus, this is his family tree right here. Right? A couple things. First of all, a couple lessons we've got to learn from this. First of all, God is not slow regarding his promises. Watch this. Abraham is told in Genesis 12, you're going to have a, you're going to have a nation, right? And God says, you're going to have, you're going to have a, a whole people. Your name is Abram. I'm changing it to Abraham, a father of a multitude. He has no kids. He has no kids when his name's changed. What's your name? I'm a, I'm a dad of a multitude. Yeah, where are they? <laughs> From the time he receives his first promise to the time that Isaac is born is 25 years that's 25 years living on a promise. I don't know about you, but we get impatient, don't we? If my Amazon doesn't deliver in, in, in two days, like it says, I'm impatient, right? But watch this. So that's, that's 25 years to wait for one guy to be born. From the time that Abraham received that, that promise to now where there's 70, now that's hardly... A father of a, it's a father of multitude, but it's not the, 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 the size that God wants. That's 215 years. Think about this. From one, Isaac, to 70, 215 years. How long has our nation been around? Well, longer, 200 and some odd years, right? But watch this. So they go down to Egypt to 70. From that day, until they're over a million or two million is 430 years. And in one sense, if you're a children of Israel and you're living in Israel, you're wondering, what's God doing? God is still working on that promise to keep it, you know? See, we want, a God, we want God to fulfill our pro- His promises to us in our timely matter, right? But we understand God's not in a rush. See, we're, we're impressed with speed, aren't we? God's more interested in permanence than speed. Right? He's more interested in the slow development of his people. There are people that he has called to know him who have taken years living as infant Christians, but God is not done with that work in them. And the idea, if completion is a key word here, he's going to bring that completion. And those people who lived in Israel during those 430 years and wondering, what's God doing? They're living off promises that are hundreds of years old. That's what we're doing, aren't we? Because we're relying on the God who keeps his word. 
See, again, we want things instantly. God's like, slow down. God says, I want you to be a minister. I'm like, right. And in my mind, it's now a lifetime thing. Sometimes we're so quick to want to rush things ahead. And God's like, slow down. Wait on me. Let me bring us about. If you rush ahead, you're going to create an Ishmael. And that's going to be a problem. The rest of, we're dealing with Ishmael in the Middle East right now. Right? Here, so God is not slow concerning his promise. He's in, he's, he may be quiet or silent, but he is still playing. He's still working. It's like Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in that land, but after it's planted, it grows to this huge tree, right? That's the same thing. As we, we have to be patient and allow God to work. The second thing I want to know is, is that God knows my name. God knows each one of our names. God is, that each one is important. Look what he says, look at Exodus 33. Look at Exodus 33. And he had called Moses to, to, to serve him. Exodus 33, in verse 17. Watch this, look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 33, 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do the thing of which you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight, and I have what? I have known your name. I mean, to us, these are a bunch of names that mean nothing to us, but to God, there's no insignificant person. We think that God's only interested in the Abrahams, Isaacs, and Jacobs, and then the big wigs and the big, uh, well, nobody's like us, like me. He's very much interested, right? Uh, look, this is interesting. Look what Isaiah 45, go to Isaiah 45. This is really cool. You guys tracking with me? Yes. You guys think we're going to get to the end of the chapter? No, not on not your... <laughs> That's okay. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord Yahweh to Cyrus, his anointed. Who's Cyrus? He's going to be the leader of Persia. Guess what? This prediction, I didn't write this down, came in a couple hundred, I think 300 years before. This was written before Cyrus was born. God's going to use this leader named Cyrus to allow his people to come out of captivity and go back to the land. The Persians are going to take over and defeat the Babylonians, and Cyrus is going to be like, y'all can go back home and go worship your God and, and build your temple again, right? Watch this. Look, look at verse, skip on down to verse 3. I will give you the treasure of, treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by what? God says, I'm picking you, Cyrus. Oh, you're not even born yet, but <laughs> you're going to trip when you hear this. <laughs> I know you. I'm going to use you, and I know your name. Moses, I know you by name. I don't know, but that gives me hope, right? That gives that, that God knows our name, Tom. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about yeah. <laughs> Here, another thing to learn at this at this thing is if if God starts off with seventy people, and he ends up with over, how do you say, one to two million people. Oh, that tells me it's something here. He started with one, oh, zero, then one, then three, then twelve, then seventy, then over a million. You know, God often starts things in small quantities, doesn't he? 
Alright? How many disciples? Twelve. To do what? To change the world. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who planted, who uh, inserted leaven in the dough. And that leaven grew and expanded, right? We're small, aren't we, as a church? Don't despise small things, right? You know, the rest of the world's going on. And meanwhile, in, Israel, in Egypt, God is growing his people, growing his people. He's going to bring them out. Here's Jesus with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, there's times he draws crowds, but there's times when everyone leaves but the twelve. You think, well, God, I had nothing offered. Hey, perfect. <laughs> Amen? Don't judge God's work or his potential based on the size of the beginnings of things. I, I know, you know, when we started a church, it was like, we had, we had nobody. We had friends, and we had... And God's like, just, you just be faithful. And some guys would have said, hey, God, you, you, have, you have a year to bring me a thousand people. I've heard guys who do that, you know. God, how come there's a, you know, Lord, you grow it your way, because if it's me manipulating and making it happen, and that's me building the house, and God says, unless the Lord builds a house, you're wasting your time. And if he started something, now we're talking about, now this is not just a nation, this is a church, but in individuals, that if he started something small, he's going to grow that. He will be faithful. Put your stopwatch away. And maybe trust in him. Because he's a faithful God, isn't he? Amen? Okay. Go back to Genesis 40, 46, right? So we looked at the relatives. There's no, there's no clock. Oh well. Guess what? We'll go to one more point. Let's look at the reunion now. Oh my goodness. I've been waiting for months for this point right here. We have the relatives that God has completely brought to Egypt, signifying that he's going to do his, his, he's going to accomplish his work. Even when he's quiet, he's still working. That he's growing them steadily and slowly. That he's going to finish that. He's going to be faithful. The children of Israel can look back and say, yes, God has been faithful these last several hundred years, and he will be faithful. But now, let's look now at the reu- reunion of Jacob and Joseph, verse 28. Now, he sent Judah before him to Joseph. I just got to stop right there. Judah. Remember Judah? He was a turkey. Judah's the one who, it was his idea to sell him into slavery. Hey guys, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to, as a slave. After all, he is our brother, you know. That's brotherly love, not killing him, but selling him, you know. That's Judah. And Judah, in chapter 38, who doesn't give his, his, his daughter-in-law, who loses husband after husband, he, he says, hey, I'm not giving my third-born to her because he might die. And so 
she has to make things, you know, take things in her own hands, you know, and she gets impregnated by Judah, and then he wants to kill her and judge her, and, and Tamar's like, you know, here's his credit card and license who, that's Judah, right? But then we see the transformation of Judah from chapter 30 being really selfish to then a few chapters ago where Judah's the one saying to Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph, Benjamin, hey, I'll take me, but not Benjamin. Judah is now being selfless. And evidently, they must have told Jacob what had gone on. Now Judah is entrusted. Judah, as I said before, will become a leader. The tribe will be a leader in Israel. And Judah is coming out. And here's what it tells me about Judah. Man, God can change anyone. If he can transform a Judah, he can transform anyone. And he can transform them completely. I love Jesus. He says, I'm going to take you and make you fishers of fish to fishers of men. Uh, Oh, by the way, who's going to be my main spokesman? I'm not going to choose the best doctor of divinity in, in seminary, in a Jerusalem seminary. I'm going to choose somebody who hates me, Saul of Tarsus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? And he tells his other disciple, he's my chosen vessel. <laughs> I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my sake. And Saul of Tarsus becomes the, the apostle Paul. Wow. Don't give up, right? If you think somebody is outside of God's own realm of helping out, think again. God purposely says, I'm choosing you right there. The, the one no one expects to use you. God can save anyone and can change anyone's life. You keep praying, right? Because it's not you and your manipulation, your logic and all. It's the Spirit of God doing something to that person, right? So Judah, I just love it. Judah goes before him and Judah is a, a changed man and he's and Jacob says, hey, send him. Hey, go ahead of me and find out what's, what's going on. And Judah, of course, you know, he's a, he's a picture of Christ in many ways, you know. And so he points out to the way of Goshen. And Goshen is, they think it's in, the, in the, the Nile Delta, you know. It's very fertile land, you know. And, of course, they have flocks. They, had, they need, you know, water and grass to eat and everything, you know. So he says, he sent Judah before Joseph to point the way before him to Goshen and they came to the land of Goshen. Verse 29. And Joseph harnessed his chariot. Look at, the, look at this, this priority of Joseph and, and look at his personal involvement. He doesn't have, he doesn't have hey guys, can you gather my, my chariot? Remember, he's second in command. I mean, he could have sent some welcoming party to, to Jacob and say, hey, you know, he goes himself. Now here's the scene. Joseph is probably shaved. He's probably dressed really nicely in some Egyptian, is Egyptian cotton that's really famous, you know, or you know, he's probably got gold, he's got some bling on his chariot, you know, he's got some gold trusted, you know, he's he's got servants. He's the man, right? But he's going himself. Of course, this is something he's been thinking about for twenty some odd years. It says, Joseph harnessed his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. You've got to understand, for 20 some odd years, Jacob has thought his son is dead. I'll see him one day when I die, right? Joseph, though, has, has been waiting to see his dad, knowing that he's alive. The hope, the expectation, the anticipation. And so when the brothers come, how is your... 
How, tell me about your family. Do you have any, is, your, is your father well, right? He has to disguise his interest in it. And every time they come back, how is your father? He wants to find out, is dad alive? How is he doing? So you got to understand, Joseph has been carrying this for 20 some odd years of anticipating and waiting for the first time he sees his dad in 20 some odd years. Look at the emotion of, Jake, of Joseph. Watch this. Look at this. Look at verse, um, verse 29. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. First of all, you get the scene he's, he is, he's been rioting. I, he's, perhaps he's been staying in, in, in a place called Memphis, which was, I'm not sure how many miles, it's not that far from, from the double. But perhaps he's riding, Canton, he's waiting to see his dad. And the expectation here is to see him, and he doesn't slow down. It's as if, he, it's as if the chariot's still going, and he just goes and falls on his dad. Okay? The idea for fall there is like this, this fall of uh, to come as if by falling. It's like he just... You know, you just lose everything, right? You see that? It says that he weeps a long time. That means he weeps profusely. He's sobbing. Now, here's what's interesting. Joseph forgets, he forget about all the the decorum, about acting properly, and, you know, I'm this advanced man now. When he sees his dad, he just, all that goes out of the way. He just wants to, he, he just wants to hang on to his dad, right? There's this reunion that happens, and you can sense the sobs and the tears and the release, right? There's closure, there's, there's, there's joy, there's pain, there's all this stuff that's coming to this point. For Joseph, it's, it's been this burden he's been carrying. Now, he's wept five other times. He's going to weep two more times after his dad dies, right? He's been sensitive to want to reconnect with his family. And now, finally, there's this, this, uh, this reunion and Joseph is not embarrassed, and Joseph's not saying, well, that's not distinguished of me since I'm second in command. You know, I have to, you know. Now, some, sometimes we as men, we keep our emotions to ourselves, right? We're too, we're too proper, we're too, you know, we're not embarrassed, you know. Or we, we don't want to be embarrassed. Oh, no, don't hug me now, you know. Joseph's like, forget about that, you know. It's like the, the dad in the prodigal son story in Luke 15, who's been waiting for his son to return. And he's got, he sees his son, and he runs to his son. Now, social protocol there was if you're an older man, you don't run. It wasn't proper. Forget about that. That's my son. I don't know about you, but this picture's the reunion we'll have with Jesus Christ. Amen? Yep. Scripture says he's going to wipe away our tears, right? Yeah. I don't know about you that when we see Christ, that reunion, you know, life's been hard for many of us, right? Yeah. Joseph, one example, but for a lot of us, life has been hard. Jesus Christ will be our Joseph, so to speak, that will meet and reunite. And I just love this. I don't know about you, but I, every time I read this, I just get, I, I get, I get, uh, I get weepy because I see this this picture of this reunion with Jesus Christ. He fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Doesn't doesn't it said, and by the way, the Hebrew is sort of ambiguous because we're thinking it's just Joseph weeping on his neck, but you can the Hebrew can be it could also be Jacob. Could, of course, Jacob's going to weep over his son. How do he not? Parents, do you, parents in here, you think about your kids all the time, don't you? 
You would do anything for your children. Your, your, your constant thought and prayers for your children, right? You're doing, if, it's, Jacob has not hardened his heart to his... Now he's, he's, he's finally seen him and, and finally reunited after all those years of being separated. This is, here's what's interesting. God is part of this whole, this whole thing, right? This is God bringing them together. Look at verse 29. You see it says, as soon as he appeared. You see that? As soon as he appeared. You know that word appeared? The six other times that it uses, it's used in Genesis, it's always used for God appearing to one of the patriarchs. What are we saying here? It's as if it's Joseph and Jacob reunion, but God is part of the picture bringing them together, Right? See, God is, about a, is a God of reunion, of reconciliation, bringing peace bring pe- pe- between people, right? Of, of restoring things that were broken. God is part of this, and, and Jacob is going to rejoice at this, the goodness of God that's being shown here. The Scripture says in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And, and of course, the goodness of, of God is seen here. One more point. We did what? We did the, the relatives accounted. Then we did the reunion. And now we're going to do the rejoicing of Israel. This one verse, verse 30. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now I can die since I have seen your face that you're still alive. It's like he's saying, I am satisfied in God's goodness. That's all I need to see. All I need to do is see your face, and now I can die a happy man. What will it take? What will it take you and I to say, I, if, if God does this one thing, I can die a happy man? Is it seeing my children walk in the ways of the Lord? Right? Is it being restored to a loved one that we're not together? Or whatever it is, what is it that I can say, now I can die a happy man? And Jacob's not going to die for 17 years. But he is satisfied in the goodness of God. His hope has been restored. And he is satisfied in the goodness of God. And unbeknownst to Jacob, God's work in his family is just getting started. Because ultimately, God's going to bring Jesus Christ through his family and bring the gospel of salvation for the entire world. By the way, that's what we're to be about. And we've been grafted in his family. And we can rejoice in the goodness of God and know that God is still working on his plan. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Lord, thank you that you are, your word, Lord, is, is nourishment to our soul. We thank you, Lord, that that you bring your plan to completion and fruition, Lord. And, and even if you start with something small, it's not a judgment of what you're able to do, Lord. You're able to grow something that's tiny into something that's flourishing. Lord, you gave your Son... One man to die on the cross for the world. 
And the gospel has been preached and shared. And it has flourished. God, we praise you for your goodness and thank you that what you start, you complete. And that things are done on your timeline, Lord, not ours. Lord, I pray that you would bring us all to the place where we can be satisfied in your goodness and say, I can die a happy man, knowing that you have your work has gone on. Lord, if there's any of our children that we've been praying for in this room or on loved ones that we've been praying for, Lord, would you continue working in their lives? We trust you, Lord, that though they may be out of our hands, Lord, they're not out of your hands. Lord, we just want to thank you for the fact that Christ gave his life for us. And as we prepare, Lord, for taking the Lord's Supper, communion, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to search our hearts and to confess any sins to you and to meditate and acknowledge the significant work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. We pray that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.